It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, is parental discipline of our children a thing of the past? Coming up in this episode, have questions about raising your kids? Don't worry, there's a video for that. As a matter of fact, there are so many resources you can access, you won't have time to use them all. So with all this right at our fingertips, why do we still struggle? Could we be overlooking fundamental biblical principles? Now, here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome everyone, I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years. Grateful to be here. Jonathan, what is our theme scripture for today's episode? Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Raising children has never been an easy task. Methods for parenting have varied dramatically based on what time in history you're bringing up your children. Disciplining children in an appropriate way looks entirely different now than it did just a few generations ago. The culture you live in as you raise a family also has a powerful impact. We live in an age and culture of technology where much of life is easily lived through watching or typing onto the screen of your phone. This convenience carries a great potential cost with it. Are we allowing technology and social media to not only unduly influence our children, but ourselves as well? Are we listening to social suggestions regarding what our children need to the exclusion of going back to basic biblical principles for those answers? This is a big question, and this is why we're talking about raising children. First thing, folks, about this podcast is we are not going to tell you how to raise your children. Can't do that. It's just there's too many individual things in, in raising children. Instead, though, our objective here will be to point you towards sound biblical principles that can become strong influences in your child-rearing decisions. As Christians, what are we seeking to accomplish when we raise and educate our children? Good question to begin this whole discussion. What, what are we looking to accomplish? Well, Proverbs 3 is Solomon giving instruction to his son. What he wants for his son is what we want for our children. So Rick, we want our children to live happy, long, and successful lives. Solomon describes this in Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. Let's start with verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So the idea here is we want, I want you to live a long and happy, successful life. Solomon wanted it for his son. We want it for our children. And here's what else we want. We want them to be honorable by holding that which is true with integrity and kindness. Let's read verses three and four. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. So the idea is help our children have integrity and kindness and, 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 and hold those things which are so valuable. We all want this, just like they did way back then. This is important. We want our children to believe in God and realize his power and guidance relate to their daily lives. Continuing in verses 5 and 6 in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. There's so much wisdom in so few words. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your understanding. God will make your path straight. We want our kids to have that sense of confidence in the direction from above. Here's one that's so contrary to the world today, Rick. We want our children to be humble and following God's ways and have the courage to walk away from evil. Verses 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. You're right, Jonathan. This one is really, really hard. To not only have humility, but the courage to walk away. That's sadly lacking 
in our world. Solomon wanted it for his son. We want it for our children. We want our children to have a healthy self-image, be successful, and not lose sight of God in the process. Continuing in Proverbs 3 with verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So the idea here is healthy self-image, success, but all in the context of loving and honoring God. Again, it's a perspective on life that is laid out in Old Testament Scripture, but it's still relevant today. And we want them to always acknowledge and appreciate God's presence in their lives so they can truly know right from wrong. And finally, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. So the idea of having God in our life means we also want to be able to receive from our Heavenly Father whatever direction and discipline necessary. And we're going to get into that much more deeply later on in this podcast. So, you know what, Jonathan, it's one thing to want these things for our children. We all want them, and we all say we want them. It's another thing entirely to establish the environment necessary to provide these things for our children. Wanting is wonderful. Establishing the environment where it can actually happen, that's where we have to go to work. Well, what do we need to be doing? How should we be trying to live so we can give our children their best opportunities? And that's, again, another thing that we all want. We want to give our kids their best opportunities. So we're going to go through several points. And these following points are actually focused on two-parent Christian households. And want to stress, we're talking to, from a Christian perspective, with these principles. And ideally, you have a two-parent household. If you don't, you still use these principles You just have to do it a little bit more creatively. So we're looking at the ideal to begin with here. Let's start here. We need to be faithful to one another as parents so we can mutually be faithful to our children. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So you have this very, very well-known scripture, and it's all about marriage. And here we're talking about raising children. But folks, the key to raising children is to be one flesh, to be about one focus, one objective, to work together as one. And sometimes that's harder than we'd like it to be. But this is a responsibility for us to really, really work on as parents, as Christian parents for our children. What's next? Also, Rick, we need to each be humble enough to be able to see things from another perspective. Romans 12, 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now, this is a just a very straightforward Christian principle, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And what we're doing is we're saying, in raising children, working with the your spouse, you need to put this perspective in place, put this principle to work. I cannot say to my wife, you need to do it my way, because my way is the right way. Because... What it comes down to is our way together, once we've discussed and worked on it and prayed over it and so forth, that's the best way we can come up with. We need to have that humility. And believe me, when you work together, things happen very differently. So, Jonathan, those two principles about working together as husband and wife and being humble enough to hear the other, those are things that really, you just got to those are very, very high standards. We've got several other principles we want to just touch on here about what we should be doing to provide the, that environment for our children. And, and all of these we're going to set up with the phrase, to the best of our ability, because we're all different, we're all imperfect, so we just want to do our best. What's the first one? To the best of our ability, we need to be living a life far away from our desire-filled world. Psalm 101, verses 2 through 4. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away 
it shall not fasten its grip on me. A, per, I, a persevere heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. And, you know, here's the thing. In, in, the, in the privacy of our own home, sometimes we look at our lives and we kind of let our, our guard down. But in this scripture it says, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. The integrity of our heart starts at home in private. I won't set any worthless thing before my eyes. To the best of my ability, I need to be far away from the desire-filled world that surrounds me. What's next? To the best of our ability, we need to supportively enter into our children's failures and successes. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Our children will fail and they will succeed. Be there with them to the best of your ability in the failure as much as in the success. Support through both. It's just an important aspect. What's next? To the best of our ability, we need to be examples from the inside out, caring for others. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. These are all Christian living principles, and they are parenting principles as well. Of course, God comes first in our lives, but we should have the interest of our children next in our heart and mind. Even if we have things we have to do, put their interests at the top. Make sure we're not dragging them along in life but nurturing them along through life. Now, what a difference. And it's easy to drag them along in life. It really is. It's far too easy because our world is, is bent on personal satisfaction. And to be a good parent requires understanding that and saying, no, you know what? From the inside out, I'm caring for them. Those are really, really good points there. What's our, what's our last point? To the best of our ability, we need to be precisely in line with our spouse regarding our children. 1 Corinthians 1, 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Once again, a basic Christian principle. There be no division among you. As parents, especially in the tough times, you need to, to be joined at the hip so that when the child goes to you and you say no, they can't go to the other parent to get a different answer. It really comes down to communicating between yourselves. These are the basic things, folks. We're, we're talking about what we want for our children and the things, the basic things that we need to put in place. That's our foundation, and now we're going to begin to get into the deeper stuff. So each, each segment we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna finish up with some positive parenting principles. Jonathan, what do we have to begin? As Christians... The fundamentals of what we want for our children has not changed over time. Our ability to consistently deliver God-honoring opportunities for them is unmistakably linked to our genuinely living a true Christian life from the inside out. There is a link between their opportunities, their God-honoring opportunities, and our living our Christian lives. Make no mistake, one can follow the other, and it works so much better when it's all working together. One of the greatest positive drives within our human frame is to see our children thrive. So now let's focus on doing it. We know what we want for our kids, but how do we apply what they need to help them to be truly healthy children? You may have heard the saying, the devil is in the details. Well, from a positive Christian perspective, successful parenting is absolutely revealed in the details. This is not to say that we need to know everything or memorize a handbook to be a good parent. On the contrary, the details we are talking about have to do with finding and building on, very simply, building on biblical principles. We will put these principles in place by addressing some common parental concerns. These principles can be applied to all stages of parenting with obvious adjustments with regard to age. Okay, so each segment, we're going to look at another, another principle. This one is, is, might sound a little out of the beginning, but stay with us. Most parents worry about what if. What if? What if? 
What if thinking makes us want to be protective? And this is a very appropriate response. However, we're going to see what happens when we go down too far down that road. Let's go through just a few, and I'm going to stress just a few examples of what if thinking. Let me start, Jonathan. What if my child grows up and doesn't follow Christianity? What if they get bullied? But what if they become a bully? What if they have emotional issues? Well, what if they have learning issues? What if they have physical issues? What if someone hurts or abuses them? What if they had a bad accident? What if they don't fit in? What if they do fit in so well that they exclude others? What if they date someone we don't think is good for them? What if they grow up and don't like us anymore? And we can go on. What if after what if after what if? And it is, it's exhausting to go through all of that. And, and folks, we really need to rein the what ifs in. Put them in a perspective so that we can begin to move forward. Well, how do we learn to deal with our what if concerns? Well, the fact is, and, and this is the fact. Sometimes those what-if concerns do happen. Uh, scriptural principles are needed to put our what-if thinking in perspective. So, um, you know, Jonathan, in this, in this segment with the what-if, the theme to, to combat it as a parent is going to be to live in the present. And we're going to go back to that theme a few times, but live in the present, where do we go with that? Well, instead of worrying about what may come, walk with Jesus through what does come. This is enormous. This is enormous. Let, let's go to a scripture, and then we're going we're gonna to expand on this a little bit. Trusting Jesus, and again, we keep, we're saying, okay, we're talking about parenting, uh, um, parenting children, right? But we keep talking about the parents. Why? Because the parenting comes from the foundation within the parents, so when we trust Jesus as our shepherd, it helps us to realize our value to him and to God. Let's go to Psalm 23, verses 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is a wonderful promise of being cared for by our shepherd. And, I, I, you know, you, you look at that and you get that personal sense of, of relief. However, when we look at this experience, this personal sense of relief, and we look at our what-ifs, sometimes bad things happen. And Jonathan, in my own, and my wife and, and I, in our parenting experience, we've had some of our worst what-ifs actually happen. Um, there's, there's several. I'm just going to mention one very, very, very briefly. Our daughter, when she was 15, was, was, was badly abused by somebody. And it took years to get through that. And it was a what if that took us. It was one of the things that as a father, you say, I don't know what I would ever do. I, Lord, please don't let that happen. And it did. And what I learned, Jonathan, was to walk with Jesus through what does come. And somehow he got us through it. And somehow he gave us strength. So the what if, it can happen, but you can also have the strength. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We need to hold on to things like that. So with this value that comes from realizing God and, and his son Jesus are, are watching over us, with this value comes an umbrella of protective holiness for our families. First Corinthians, Corinthians 7.14 for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Rick, this is amazing. I love this. God's hand is on our children's lives. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get better than that. Our children are loved and protected by God because of our relationship with him. And we need to understand the deep value of recognizing and claiming that if we are living that set-apart life, then God's hand is specially over our children. Folks, hold on to this. If you are leading that life as a Christian, this is a special, special, special blessing and will help in your parenting in an immense way. Now, look, this does not guarantee a problem-free life, but it does open a door for peace-driven thinking 
to move forward and to deal with our what-ifs. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Two, two things about this scripture, Jonathan. That will keep him in perfect peace. Can, I don't know if you've ever had perfect peace. I can't say that I might have ever had perfect peace. I've had peace, but there's always that little ripple of my own self. And just, you know, you struggle to just get up to that level of perfect peace because in the Lord is everlasting strength. Boy, what a comfort that is. So not a problem-free life, but peace-driven thinking to manage our what-ifs. Our lives will always be full of testing, and that includes some of those what-ifs becoming oh-nos, just as I mentioned happened in our life. But here's a wonderful scripture to help us with that, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So if you are stuck with what-ifs, first of all, we need to put that before the Lord in prayer and say, I need help with this. But if those, some of those what-ifs come to be, you look at a scripture like this and say, Lord, I know you've got it. You are watching over my family, and I know that if I rely on you, I can work through this because you won't give me more than I can handle, and therefore you don't give my family more than we can handle. The what-ifs can be put in perspective when we look at them through the eyes of Scripture and promises. Let's go back to live in the present. Protect your children to prevent what you can, but also protect them with the intention to prepare them. This is enormous. We always want to protect our children, and parents are really good, well, most parents are really good at that instinctive protection but sometimes we need to realize that when we're protecting, which is appropriate and good and important, and we're saying, yes, be protective, are we protecting them with the intention of preparing them as well? well? We'll expand this as we go through a few scriptures. To prepare them, let's start by adorning our own lives with godliness. This gives concrete principles to replace our wandering thoughts of what if, because they come and they go and they come and they go. And it gives them, the children, an environment that teaches God's presence and care. Jonathan, a great scripture in Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 to 9. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Well, Rick, can our children see God is a priority in our everyday life? Do we pray with them? Do we share the beauty of God's future kingdom? Show them what is on our heart. And see, this is part of protecting them because you're teaching them to see things through a higher perspective, but this is also part of preparing them because it shows them how to, what to go to so that they can uh, be, be, be clear when things are hard for them. And especially with little kids, they're not going to get it right up front, but it doesn't mean you don't do it. You continue, you establish habits as best you can. You live a life of assurance based on faith. That's the key here. Well, Rick, we best protect and prepare our children when we are focused in the present and watching for God's direction. Focused in the present. Live in the present. Live in the present. A what-if takes you out of the present and brings you somewhere into some nebulous time frame with some nebulous experience. Forget that. Live in the present. In Habakkuk chapter 1, the prophet Habakkuk was bewildered by the troubles of his day. And I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing here. He says to God, God, you're almighty. Have you noticed what's happening around me? Have you seen the chaos and the, the destruction that swallowed us up? I mean, as if God is not watching, really. <laughs> and he says, and he's basically saying in chapter one, why don't you help? Why don't you deliver us? What's going on here? Chapter two of Habakkuk begins, and he resolves to listen for the Lord's answer. 
He's prayed in his frustration. So he's been looking at, at what's happening and saying, what if, what if, because this could, this could lead to this, that, and the other thing. So now in chapter two, he's watching and waiting, and he accepts the reproof, the correction of God, so he can learn to appropriately respond to what's happening around him. Here's where we drop in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tables that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it for it will certainly come. It will not delay. So what the Lord God gives to Habakkuk is protection and preparation. He says, write down the vision, make it plain so those who are in the race can understand that the answer is coming, it's coming, it's coming. It may seem like it tarries, but it's coming. He's protecting them by giving them his promise, and he's preparing them by saying, I've got this in place. This is the kind of thing that we as parents want to learn to do for our children and replace the what-if kind of thinking. It's appropriate to be protective of our children. However, too often our protectiveness is only a shield and not an education. How will they be prepared when things go wrong? How many times have we heard, oh, my kids will never do that, and later find out they did? We need to teach them what to do if they are in a harmful environment, but we can't protect every moment in their lives. Yeah, you know, th- and that's such a good point. We don't want to just shield. Shielding is good, but educating while we shield is the most appropriate way to do it because you're giving them something to hold on to. And we're going to develop that as we go a little bit further in the podcast. So this is about what if thinking and how we can get so distracted as parents. And folks, let's take the what if thinking and put it in its appropriate perspective so we can see the larger picture of living in the present with God's presence with us. Jonathan, our positive parenting principles. As Christians, we need to accept that even if our what if thinking is natural, it can easily become a distraction from our what now needs. What if is out of our reach? What now reflects the present privilege of protecting and preparing our children. The future is firmly in God's hands. Be aware of it, but not consumed by it. It's so powerful to understand. Yes, we need to be aware of future possibilities. But no, we must not be consumed by them because we have the what now, and our children, frankly, need us now, not later. They need us here and now in their lives. It's comforting to know that our children are special in God's eyes. Now we just have to remember that every day. All of life's what-ifs are one thing, but how do I manage my own inconsistencies as a parent right now? Right now. Realizing our own limitations as parents can be debilitating. We can get so tied up in what we are not good at and how we have failed that we cease to focus on the most important thing, and that is, what can I do today, here and now, to parent my children in spite of my own shortcomings? This takes both honesty and courage, and this is an important aspect uh, to to look at, and we're going to spend this segment just delving in to this. We're going to have another episode coming up next week to answer some of the questions we simply don't have time for today. So stay tuned. Now, Rick, I'm not a perfect parent, and there's no such thing as a perfect parent. How do we make the right choices, manage our mistakes, and not put undue pressure on ourselves in the process? See, this is really, really, really hard because, you know, we want to be a perfect parent. And you're right, there is no such thing as a perfect parent, but we can give it really strong effort and intention. And, you know, in, in, in the first segment, Jonathan, we kept talking about living in the present. Well, the theme for dealing with, I'm not a perfect parent. I know I'm not a perfect parent. I want to be better, but I'm bad. I fail, on and on and on. The theme here is to be prayerful. 
Realize that perfection is not possible, but persistence in learning is. And that's the key. All right, you can't be perfect, but you can get better. You can work on it. You can, you can, you can get up and try again. And prayer with humility is what, is what it takes to do that, to get, to get up and try again. A scripture that you all have heard, I'm sure, Proverbs 24, the first part of verse 16. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. You know, part of the righteousness of that man who falls seven times is the fact that he gets up again. And as parents, we fall and we need to get up again and try again. You know why? Because our children are dependent upon our efforts. I know we're not perfect parents, so let's look a little bit further at how to deal with that. One of the things we need to do is realize that uh, we have Jesus to always lean on as we humbly pray. You said be prayerful. We humbly pray and learn from our failures. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Well, Rick, I'm so grateful for this verse, letting us know Jesus sacrifices for the whole world, because even if tragedy strikes and our children do the unspeakable, take their own lives, we will see them again. Jesus' sacrifice has got this. And, you know, it is important. Yeah, and that's one of those what-ifs, Jonathan. That's one of those what-ifs. And, but in our world today, that's a much bigger what-if than it ever was before. And you say, what if, what if, what if? Well, first of all, let's breathe and realize, you're right, that Jesus has got this under control because of the ransom price. So let's take some of the pressure off and work on the what now. And to do that, we need to just prayerfully put things um, in perspective. So let's go back to God's Word. As a matter of fact, always go back to God's Word. As a matter of fact, whenever you do any parenting and have any questions, the first place to go is back to God's Word for the principles needed to overcome our own weakness. 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. So there's this sense about being diligent to present yourself uh, approved to God. And again, this is a basic Christian principle that we're saying, let's apply this to our parenting. And Jonathan, I just want to go back to the previous point, because what you brought up was really, really tough. It was, it's hard, you know, a losing a child's life, especially to something like, like suicide. And we're going to get into that in more detail next week, uh, because we're just trying to cover some bases, build a foundation. And we're talking about not being a perfect parent. So we're going to come back around to that. So with this 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16, being diligent to understand the word of truth. You know, here's the thing. God's word won't tell you how to deal with social media, but it will give you the principles you need so you can properly deal with social media. Thou shalt not have social media in thy house. That's not, that's not a scripture. But when we see the principles of righteousness and godliness and Christ-likeness, it helps us put those things where they belong and generally it's further away from us than they might be right now. Let, let, let's build another point. Back to be prayerful. Understand the differences between personal control and mutual competence, and acknowledge how contribution fits into both scenarios. Okay, now this is like, what are you talking about? Personal control and mutual competence? And then contribution? I was like, don't get... Let's not get confused with the words. Let's explain this piece by piece. When we have an infant, okay, let's go back to the beginning of parenting. When we have an infant, we have 100% control over their lives. Our competence as parents is easily measured by the control that we carefully take. We give them naps, we entertain them, we change them, we feed them, all of, we, we respond to all of their needs. They're entirely in our control. As they grow, through this most helpless and vulnerable stage, we need to also develop into a different stage of parenting, of less 
personal control and more mutual competence. Now, mutual competence, we're teaching our children to be able to be individuals, and you start at a very basic level. So we have this major contribution of ours and this minor contribution of theirs, but we want to work it and build their competence. This is measured. This mutual competence we're talking about is measured by the budding competence of the child as they learn responsibility, learn to understand things, and the lesser external role of the parent. We want to change the balance over time. That's our object here. Here's an example. The Apostle Paul showed us the difference between the personal control and mutual competence stages of parenting in the letter to the Hebrew Christians. His message was a profound parenting principle. With mutual um, with maturity comes freedom and privilege. Paul focused on the need for greater personal control on his part due to the lack of competence these Christians were displaying. So what, Hebrews? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jonathan. So, so what we're, what we're going to see here is a real live example of giving a lot of competence, but then having to say, wait a minute, something's not quite going the way it should. So Jonathan, I'm sorry about that. Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. And let's read verses 12 and 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic elements of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So the Apostle Paul, in a parental way, is looking at these adult Christians and saying, guys, and this is a lot of paraphrasing here, guys, what are you doing? You're not taking the responsibilities for the Word of God that you should be taking at this level. As a matter of fact, we got to back off your diet because you're not ready to have as much competence as you should be at this point in time. These Christians needed greater external control, the Apostle Paul is exerting that here, in their lives because they had not matured as they had expected to be. So this is an important principle. The Apostle realizes that the competence was too low, so there was more control that was needed. Continuing with verse 14, But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. And he goes on to say that you have the reward of, of solid food is you can distinguish good from evil. You are mature. We need to build that in our children. It starts, we have complete control. And sometimes it's really hard to let go of that control. But the point is, we need to engage in the process, always working on building our children's confidence and competence. Personal competence was missing in those Hebrews Christians, as you mentioned, Jonathan, and it caused a dangerous situation for them for their spiritual well-being. It needed to be corrected. One more time, be prayerful. Understand how to remain competent while having your contributions diminish. So now we're talking about, I'm not a perfect parent. And we keep saying, well, be prayerful in that. Bring it to the Lord in prayer. Be prayerful in understanding what the balances are supposed to be and check where you are. And, you know, be prayerful uh, and understand how to remain competent while having lower contributions. Sometimes as parents, we kind of think that, well, if I don't control as much, I'm not as good a parent. Well, maybe we should not control as much and guide them so they can learn how to be competent to control themselves. And if it's a little too fast, we back off. So it's, it's learning. It's a learning process for them and you know what? For us, for us as well. And Jonathan, I, I, just a quick personal experience here. Um, I'm not a perfect parent, never was a perfect parent. And when I look back on parenting, we have three children, three ter- terrific adults at this point, but uh, we have three children. Two, two of them were very hard to raise, and they'll both tell you they were hard to raise. Our middle, our middle daughter, our oldest daughter, middle child, was not. She was very much compliant and just was very different. I made a mistake. Because one of the things I was so involved in the difficulties of the other two that I did not give as much attention to that middle child as I should have. And I look back with regret on that. I look back and say, you know, I I assumed too much and I think that I could have done so much better. Now, look, my daughter has become this incredible, wonderful, mature adult in every way, shape, possible. 
So I'm grateful and thankful for that. But I realize that I expected more competence maybe when she just wasn't quite ready. Folks, just let's be careful for those things. Learn, f- learn from my mistakes, okay? That's, I guess that's where we're going with this. So let's go from personal control to mutual competence. And let's do that by teaching with continuity. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is such a simple verse, but it gives such a powerful lesson. Don't teach based on how you feel. Teach based on what is needed. And to understand what's needed, let's get out of ourselves. I know we're not perfect. Let's, as best as we can, look at the needs of our children and say, how can I teach them with those specific needs that they have? It's not a matter of how I feel. It's a matter of what do they need. Going from personal control to mutual competence. This is the process that we're talking about. Even if we're not perfect parents, we can still work on this. Going from personal control to mutual competence desperately needs emotional control and daily wisdom from above on our part to provide that kind of proper guidance. Another scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We'll get into some examples of this in the next segment, but think about this. Don't provoke your children to anger. Now, look, if you've got teenagers, they're going to get mad at you, okay? Just <laughs> the fact that you exist can sometimes be enough to make them mad. You know, the eye roll and all, yeah, dad, all of those things. But the point is we should not provoke them to anger. That's part of the natural process. But what we want to do is bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We want to bring them up with something bigger and stronger and more, more well-rounded than all of that. So again, we're not perfect parents. Let's do our best to rise above ourselves and focus on that, what Ephesians 6, 4 says. Going from personal control to mutual competence. Again, this process that we're working on as parents reminds us to see our children as children. Hey, there's an idea. See them as children and help them up the ladder of maturity. Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So don't make them angry. Don't even <laughs> exasperate them. In other words, teach them with grace and with strength and with maturity and with love and with, with, with that kind of guidance that they can know that even if they don't like you at the moment, deep down they still love you. Train them, praise them, discipline them, coach them, be an example to them. Give them grace and space to grow like God gives us. I mean, think about the space and grace that God gives us to grow. That's the example of parenting, and we're not perfect parents. So let's take that example and as best as we can, apply it to our children's lives. Our positive parenting principles for this portion. As Christians... Our parental faults and failures can and should be humbly brought before God through Jesus. Having done this, we need to focus on the process of helping our children grow. No matter what stage of life they're in, our job is to, as best as we can, encourage going through our personal control of their lives to mutual competence in their lives. And Rick, this reminds me of the phrase, lead by example. To me, this lesson um, is you know, a way to teach my son competence. How? By taking care of the elderly, being consistent in our faith, giving to those in need. These demonstrate values we hope our son will grow into. We took care of three parents in our home, so we hope our son will take care of us someday. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We'll see about that. Uh, We should take time to enjoy our kids, be it sports or other activities or taking them to Bible camps or on vacations. With our son being an only child, we gave him space to grow, which is the lesson in teaching competence by allowing him to invite a friend to come with us on trips. And it was great to see them get out on their own, try to make decisions and have fun and, you know, hopefully stay within the parameters of doing the right things. <laughs> yeah, well, and again, it's all part of the release, the moving toward competence rather than control. We, if we don't do that, we're not allowing our children to become mature and then they're not prepared, and, and you know what? It all doesn't work so well, so we really do have to focus on these things. So while this transition from control to our children's competence is difficult, 
it is actually one of the greatest gifts that we can give them. When it comes to disciplining our children, should we as imperfect parents even go there? What if we cause more harm than good? Again, what if? I heard you say, what if? <laughs> the subject of parental discipline is a sticky and difficult one. As Christian parents look at the scriptures, they can easily focus on focus in on a wide variety of scripture texts that seem to give leeway to be overly strict or overly soft. You know, take your pick of what scriptures you're looking at. While we will not attempt to deal with this variety of scriptures today, we're going to focus on some key New Testament scriptures for guidance. And really, that's what we want is guidance. So let's get started with this. Well, what does appropriate Christian discipline of our children even look like? What does it look like? How does it feel? What does it look like? The scriptures do give us quite a bit to go on here. Let's start with uh, Proverbs chapter 29, uh, verses 15 and then 17 and 18. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Okay, we're not going to get into the rod and reproof, and no, we're not saying you should beat your children. Please, let's understand that right from the start. That's, not, that's really not what this verse means, but that's, that's a subject for another day. But here's the thing. It says, correct your son, and he will give you comfort. And it's fascinating to me that, you know, Proverbs are a lot of very small nuggets of wisdom. But the nugget of wisdom that follows, correct your son and he will give you comfort and he'll, he'll, he will delight your soul. The next verse is where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. In, in the King James, it says the people perish. So it's talking about correcting, give them vision, give them guidance. This is what discipline is for. So don't, look, we all know we're supposed to discipline, but how do we do it? Again, we're not saying you beat the kids because that's not what these scriptures are about, and that's not what the Bible advocates. So we've talked about living in the present in terms of the what-ifs of life. We've talked about being prayerful in terms of not being a perfect parent. And now it's in terms of discipline, our theme for this is to be positive. As you discipline, restrict and restrain to help your child to reset and reframe. Okay, let me explain that. As you discipline and restrict and restrain your children, you've got to restrict them sometimes, you've got to restrain them sometimes, sometimes you have to do that. It's not just for the sake of stopping the behavior, but it's for the sake of helping them reset their perspective. It's for the sake of helping them reframe their direction. That's why we say be positive. Even if the discipline has to be a little bit hard, be positive in that hard discipline. Necessary Christian-based discipline comes in degrees, as some children just naturally are going to respond faster and others are going to respond much more slowly. While this is a spiritual principle, we're going to go back to the book of Hebrews, it absolutely should be mirrored in our family discipline as well. So we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 8, and we're going to introduce, well, we're not, Hebrews, the apostle is going to introduce four aspects of discipline in these verses, and they are comprehensive and profound. Jonathan, Hebrews 12, 5 to 8. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline, and, and that word means tutelage or training, of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved, and that word means admonish, by him. For those whom the Lord loves, disciplines, this means educate, discipline, and he scourges, and that means to flog, literally or figuratively, every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Okay, so to, to start with, I just want to reiterate the, the last part. If you're not being disciplined by God, you're not his child. So that doesn't bode well for us as parents if we are not engaging in appropriate discipline. So what does appropriate discipline mean? In this verse, it gives, gives 
a grand perspective. It gives the big picture, then it breaks it down actually into different kinds of stages. So we're going to go back through this verse little piece by little piece and lay this out. Jonathan, let's get started with that. Do not regard lightly the discipline of God. Okay, so that's in verse 5. And you said that that word uh, is the, the, the tutorage, the training. This represents the whole process of helping one grow. And you kind of think of a coach disciplining the, the athletes on that team so that they can grow. It's hard work. The coaches, and it's a big process. It's not just physical. It's not just mental. It's, it's learning fundamentals. There's all kinds of aspects. That's what this means. So don't regard lightly the overall teaching of God. And parents don't regard lightly the overall responsibility to teach your children. Next point. Do not lose heart when you are reproved by him. You had mentioned the word means, reproved means to be admonished, to be spoken to, uh, so to be scolded. And so part of the discipline process is God will scold us, by Scripture most likely, uh, when we go wrong. And so as parents, our disciplining of our children needs to be in place to be able to speak to them firmly with words so they understand right from wrong. Uh, you know, it could be a look. And, and I will tell you, two of my children definitely needed words. One of them only needed a look, <laughs> you know. But it's, it, it's that first level to say, hey, wait a minute, hold on. Didn't we just say that's not appropriate? That kind of thing. It's putting firm words in place. That's kind of a baseline, but it gets bigger from there. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And again, that word for discipline means educate or discipline. And this is the action of disciplining. It's, the, it's an action. And that's the key. First, you have words. And then sometimes, you know, how many parents say you need a timeout? And, you, you know, the, the child just needs to be able to take a breath. They need to be perhaps separated. And, and so they can settle down and regroup. This is part of what the Lord does for us. He disciplines us by sometimes educating through Scripture and through others to say, wow, you need to rectify what you did. Well, as parents, we need to help our children rectify the things they did as well. Then it goes down to a, 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 a firmer stage next. And finally, scourges every child whom he accepts. Now, scourging, I mean, the word literally means to flog. That's not pleasant, that's not pretty, but it, it also is a figurative term. And it seems like it doesn't mean acceptance at all. When you, when you are being, uh, when you have to be guided hard, and again, sometimes with a small child, it's grabbing them firmly by the hand and saying, we're going to clean your room the right way this time. <laughs> you know, and bringing them along, and they don't want to go, and they're fighting, but you have to bring them there. Sometimes the Lord has to break us of our own will from a spiritual to a, a Christian perspective. Sometimes we have to guide our children from their own will to what is appropriate, and it takes harshness to do that. And it is because we accept them. It's because we love them. So I guess the point is some children can respond much more easily and some need harshness to reset their thinking and behavior. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, it's just the way it is. And so understand it, look at the principles, and look at the godliness in these approaches. And again, we started this by saying be positive. This is not about being angry and vengeful and, and all of that. It's, there's got to be a positiveness to it. Why do we say that? Because here's the desired result of all of this. Let's look, go down a few verses to Hebrews chapter 12, now verse 11. Listen carefully to this. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Parental discipline should always be for the positive reasons. If done in a negative and angry way, instead of a teaching tool, it becomes a restraining tool. That's not what we want. What we want is to build. We don't want to break. God doesn't want to break us. He wants to build us up in our holy faith. We don't want to break our children. We want to help them break bad habits, but we don't want to break them. We want to build them up. It's all about nurturing and learning and stimulating towards maturity. That's what it's about. Loving communication. 
should always precede and follow such learning experiences. And, you know, Jonathan, when I personally, one of the big lessons of my life in, in, in learning to discipline my own children was I had resolved early on that I would never discipline them when I was angry. If I was angry, I would have to put off the discipline and walk away, calm down, and decide, what am I doing this for? It's not to make me feel better. It's to teach them to be better. And I would be able to walk back into the room and be calm and firm. And for me, that worked wonders. This kind of discipline can't happen if we're driven by anger and frustration or impatience. We need to be driven by teaching and nurturing and their well-being. And that's how God disciplines us. Let's learn from our Heavenly Father. Always remember a child is not equipped to function as an adult. Let's remember that. Sometimes I think we forget. Sometimes adults are not equipped to function as adults either. That's a little bit of a different story, but let's look at <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 as an example of this. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? And that's an interesting phrase. Are you not walking like just mere men? Because you have not grown spiritually. You haven't grown in the appropriate ways, and there needs to be something happening here. We are responsible to help our children grow in appropriate ways. So what this scripture is saying, when we act in a childish way, it may be appropriate to have the reins of freedom pulled away from us because we're not, we're not worthy on a spiritual level. That's sobering to think about that. This is an important principle to apply when our child is of an age to understand what we are doing and why. Well, we should be firm and not angry. And how's this for a consequence? Give me your phone. <laughs> oh, boy, that's, uh, <laughs> that's when it's serious, okay? <laughs> you know it. But, but look, think about this for a second. If our children can't function without their phone, what is that saying? And let's, as parents, let's ask ourselves, what is that saying about the kind of world we live in, and what should we be doing about that? You know, this is a hard thing, but discipline is helping them see something bigger and more wholesome, and sometimes it's at the expense of something they might like more, and that's why we go through this process of the kinds of discipline in Hebrew so we can learn it for ourselves as parents. And so discipline is hard, Jonathan. You know, we, we talked about we talked about the what-ifs of parenting. That's tough to deal with. We talked about, yes. you know, I, I, I know, I know I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a good parent. I, you know, I make a lot of mistakes. And we all feel that way. And it's tough to deal with. And then we're talking about discipline. It's hard to do. It's hard to do because what if I make a mistake? What if I'm too hard? What if I'm too soft? What if I miss the boat? Is it okay to discipline later, afterwards? I mean, you know, you get a million questions. And what we need to do is say, look, do the best you can with the moment that you're in and work from there. Because the bottom line of all this, Psalm 127.3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Isn't that the whole point? Children beautiful. are a gift. We've been given that gift and given the responsibility to nurture that gift into something very special in the sight of God. And remember, our children have that protection under God's care. Our final positive parenting principle. As Christians, our responsibility to appropriately discipline our children is a serious matter. This firmness must always come from love and always be designed to stimulate understanding and growth. When in doubt, ask yourself if you would want God to discipline you with the same attitude you are disciplining your child. And I, that's a great question to ask ourselves. Do I want God to be angry with me the way I'm angry with my child? If not, then I shouldn't be angry with my child that way. It's really that simple. So use the scriptural principles to put things in order. So folks, we've looked at the basic idea here. Next week, we're going to continue the general subject. And our title for next week, our question is, how do we best support our kids through their hardest 
times. And Jonathan, there's four questions we're going to ask next week. We want to talk to you about them now. If you have something to say about them, send it in, uh, contact us, and let us know. What's the first question? How do we, in a very practical way, teach our younger children to love God? Second question, how do we keep open and honest relationships with our children as they become young adults and beyond? Third question, bad things do happen to good people. How do we as parents handle it when something bad happens to our children? And last question, contradiction, strife, and even rebellion are potentially a part of a Christian's parenting experience. What do we do? How do we handle this? Folks, as we wrap this up, there is an awful lot to think about in terms of parenting. Today, we tried to lay some groundwork, some scriptural principles for each of us to rely on in all aspects of our parenting. This is hard work, but it is such worthwhile work. Parent your children as God parents you. Think about it. Folks, we love hearing from our listeners. We welcome your feedback and questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Coming up in our next episode, as we just said, how do we best support our kids through their hardest times. Lots of questions, but there are answers. We'll talk to you next week.